What does tax residency and exchange control residency mean for emigration? How does it affect your retirement and taking funds offshore? And what about breaking residency? What are the effects thereof? This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends, moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. A very warm welcome. I'm Jeremy Max. Now, immigration, tax residency and exchange control residency are increasingly becoming topical here in South Africa, and it's not surprising. A recent survey by the Social Research Foundation revealed that many South Africans are looking to emigrate, including university graduates and high earners. In this episode, we're going to try and demystify what tax residency and exchange control residency mean for emigrating and how it affects your money. Let me welcome my guests, Jentel Narayadu, Exchange Control Specialist at Investec, along with Tax Specialist Dirk Kortzer. To both of you, welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Jentel, let's start with the basics, if we can. I've referenced tax residency and exchange control residency, uh, also known as XCON residency. Maybe you could just tell us very briefly, what's the difference? Thanks, Jeremy. Tax residency is defined by the rules set by the South African Revenue Services, which is SARS. And the general test that is applied is a physical presence test, whereas XCON residency is defined by the South African Reserve Bank rules. Now, as far as XCON residency is concerned, I'm assuming that there are different levels or different statuses. What kind of status then can one hold under the specific residency? For SARB and for XCON purposes, there are five major residency statuses and these are South African resident and these are just you know individuals like you and me people who live here and pay tax here and you get a South African resident that's temporarily abroad and these are the individuals that left SA but have not formally exited SA through a formal process through Saab and SARS. Slightly different from the SA resident temporarily abroad are immigrants and the alternate wording for immigrants are private individuals who have seized tax residency. These are individuals who have gone through a formal exit process with SARS and possibly Saab as well. You also get a foreign temporary resident or a foreign national. And these are individuals from countries outside of SA who come to South Africa on a temporary basis via a valid visa. And lastly, you get a non-resident or a bona fide non-resident. Um, these are individuals or entities that are born offshore. They live offshore and they do not hold any South African IDs or passports. And in the case of an entity, they are not registered in SA. And I'm assuming, Yentel, that there are common misconceptions about ex-con residency. What would those be? Absolutely. The most common misconception is that people living offshore can confuse citizenship, which is very much a home affairs issue. And they confuse this with ex-con residency. They feel that if they've given up their South African passports, that they are now immigrants of SA, which is incorrect. The other common misconception is that the tax and the ex-con residency is always aligned. And if an individual has seized their South African tax residency, the same would apply to their ex-con residency. It's always important to make sure that the Saab or banks are aware of the change of an individual's tax status. And it's critical to do that because you would suffer the consequences, suffer the penalties if you didn't, I assume. Yes, you would. Dirk, let me bring you into the conversation then. At the heart of this conversation today then is emigration. What's the lie of the land? Are we seeing, as I mentioned in my introduction, uh, something of an uptake? 
Jeremy, there appears to be a lot more discussion about immigration on media platforms and, and out in the media that suggests that there are a lot more South Africans leaving. Personally, I'm receiving a lot more queries regarding tax immigration than, for, for example, three years ago. This suggests that there's either an increase in the number of people leaving, but it might also just suggest that people are regularizing their affairs better than what they were maybe five or ten years ago, because the people are becoming becoming a bit more aware of their administrative requirements. When you talk about an increase, is it fairly dramatic? Yeah, I think it, for, for me it has been. A couple of years ago, maybe I got a query a month, a query, two queries a, a month. Now it's it's literally almost daily that people are contacting me with regards to we're either planning to leave or we have left. What do we need to do? And again, as I mentioned in my introduction, this would apply mainly to people who are either university graduates or high net worth individuals. And that in itself is, is a real problem, isn't it? Yes, I think the risk there, Jeremy, is that, you know, these people are generally going to become high income earners, high taxpayers to the fiscus. And generally their children will be as well. And I think if you once you start losing one generation, you also lose that follow up generations, so to speak. So I think it is a bit of a headache for National Treasury. Now, Dirk, Yentl spoke about the five levels or layers of ex-con residency. But uh, what about tax residency itself? What is it important to know and what then are some of the misconceptions that you are dealing with and can demystify for me? For tax residency, you're either non-resident or you're resident. Unfortunately, uh, between the Home Affairs and Saab and SARS, there's not been an alignment of the different names or or what you call people. So for tax purposes, you're either tax resident or you're non-resident. And it's actually quite easy to break your tax residency. So for instance, if you make a living elsewhere, you've pretty much broken your tax residence generally, and because you spend most of your time there, your family's with you and, and things like that. And a lot of people don't always realize that Ooh, I have now broken my tax residency and maybe I need to do a bit of administration. And I think that's where five or 10 years ago, people just left and they didn't really bother about the administration. But I think because it's it's getting a lot of media attention, people are becoming aware of it and they are doing what they can to regularize it now. When you talk about regularizing or a bit of administration, I mean, how complex is the process? What do people need to do? From a SARS perspective now, you've got to indicate on e-filing that you have broken tax residency. Obviously, one step back, you've got to determine, have I broken tax residency, yes or no? And if you have on e-filing, you have to give that indication. And then SARS will send uh, that the individual correspondence to say, please prove to us that you have broken tax residency. Give us proof of your accommodation abroad. Give us copies of your visas, um, you know, living arrangements on the other side so that we can just check that, you know, have you really broken tax residency or not? So I think the, the most difficult one is determining whether you have broken tax residency. But I think once you've ticked the box on e-filing, it's a fairly automotive and, and, and as long as you've got the paperwork ready, it's not too onerous. Have there been key changes, though, to the process that we should be aware of? Yes, I think good old days pre-COVID, for example, breaking tax residency was fairly informal. You literally almost had to tick a box on your tax return. Now that has changed. Um, and, and, and even when you tick the box, SARS very rarely required the taxpayer to prove that they have broken tax residency. And that has now changed to the more formal process of you've got to change your status on e-filing and then they will definitely ask you for proof. The major change which caused a lot of rush and panic amongst 
individuals living offshore was the cashing out of retirement products. And the new rule states that an individual must be a non-tax resident for an uninterrupted period of three years in order to cash out the retirement product. And that was the major change that happened post-March 2021. The other change that was quite substantial was that Saab now allow immigrants to receive donations from South African residents or other South African residents, whereas previously this was not allowed. Explain to me what you mean by donations. A donation is regarded as a gift to an individual whereby repayment is not expected to be made to the donee. Put more into context with regards to immigration, we previously had a regulation for two, which is an exchange control rule that prohibited an individual from remitting funds out of SA when the funds specifically didn't belong to them. In a common example of a trust whereby the father had funded the trust and all the assets in it and thereafter gifted or donated those assets or cash to a child, the Saab said that those funds or assets would be blocked in South Africa until the demise of the father. This is no longer the rule and individuals can now receive donations for the purposes of externalizing or taking them offshore. Dirk, has SARS, I wonder, become more adept at managing the process and perhaps more vigilant in people trying to exploit loopholes? Jeremy, I think they have. Um, I think three, four, five years ago, tax residency wasn't very high on, on SARS's radar, and I think currently it is. They are, they, 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 like I said, they're at least now when you say you're becoming tax resident, they're asking the questions, you've got to prove that. And you know, I think it's it's also still fairly early stages for them, but yes, I think they are upskilling and they are upping their game with regards to that, because obviously it's in South Africa's best interest to have more tax residents. So the, it's not that they it's not like, like they will want to make it impossible for you to leave, but they want to make sure that the people that are saying they are non-resident genuinely are non-resident. Dirk Yentel, hold the fort. Uh, we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Just a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. So, Yentl, let's continue our conversation then. What, in your opinion, has been the experience in the adoption of the processes that you have outlined? Plain sailing or have there been bumps and obstacles? Most definitely not plain sailing, Jeremy. Since the changes were announced, there's been a lot of misconceptions in the industry and the industry were applying their own understanding to the rules and the circulars issued by Saab. But since then, we've managed to oil the machine a bit more, not to say that there still aren't hiccups. What were those common misconceptions and how have you been able to oil that machine, as you say? I think a lot of the misconception as well was the actual SARS process. So we had to get guidance from a lot of tax advisors, of which if we approach three or four different tax advisors, we'd get three or four different options or processes as to what a client or an individual should do. So on our side, we knew that the end product is that we needed to know that an individual will get an immigration tax clearance certificate. But how they actually got to that step was a little bit confusing. Yentl, I'm also assuming that people need to be adept at understanding the rules if they're wanting to take funds offshore. What do they need to be looking out for? What do they have to do? 
So taking funds offshore is a basic SAAB guideline, although it can be confusing. And the guideline is for the remittance of capital and income, and it's very important to separate the two. So capital refers to the sale of an asset and income refers to the revenue that the asset generates. For example, a property would be regarded as the capital and the rental that the property receives would be regarded as the income. The current allowance for the remittance of capital is 10 million rands. And if an individual wants to remit more than 10 million rands, they are subject to tax audit and a more stringent SARS process. So the remittance of income is a bit different and there's no limit attached to taking out funds that are income-based from South Africa. All banks do is that we verify that an individual is in good standing with SARS. You referenced retirement products a little earlier. Just remind me again, are there specific requirements in terms of cashing out? Yes. So the insurance or the fund administrator will now ask for a signed and dated declaration from the individual stating that they are not South African resident for tax purposes and that they have not been South African resident for tax purposes for an uninterrupted period of three years or longer before the 1st of March. And they would also ask for an official letter or a certificate from their new tax authority confirming that the individual is a resident for tax purposes in that country and that they've been paying tax in that country for a period of three years. Those letters are not always easy to come by, especially if you work in a non-tax jurisdiction like the UAE, Dubai. All right, Dirk, as we wrap up our conversation, obviously not all smooth sailing. What are some of the tax implications then of breaking SA residency? Jerry, there definitely are. Obviously, one of the main things is that person that breaks tax residency is deemed to have sold all their assets on the day before they broke tax residency, and that is at market value. Um, certain assets are excluded like fixed property in South Africa because we South Africa always retains the right to tax bricks and mortar. But if you can imagine, if you've got individuals that have fairly substantial stock portfolios, shares in private companies or unit trusts in their private hands, there's a deemed sale of that asset before they on the day before they leave, um, and that can lead to a fairly substantial capital gains tax bill that they've got to, you know, they've got to pay to the receiver of revenue. Um, and in a lot of cases, the individuals don't necessarily have the cash to fund that. I, mean, I dealt with an individual earlier this year that had a shares in a private company worth 60 million rands. The capital gain on that was roughly 10 million rands, you know, and he had to, he had to fund that tax. So that is a, that is a, a real punitive measure. And I think then also what people must remember is that breaking tax residency in South Africa is only one side of the equation. You've got to understand what your tax implications and what the tax regime allows and and requires in the new country that you're going to, because they will now be able to tax worldwide income, for example. So that obviously means that people leaving should consider and get tax advice, not just from a South African perspective, but also speak to somebody in the new jurisdiction and say, If I land here, what are my requirements so that they don't end up creating problems for themselves on that side as well? I've learned two things here. One is best advice on both sides of the geography. And the second thing is you've made it both abundantly clear that this is a process that you've got to take carefully, you've got to plan well, and you cannot leave it until the last minute. Yentl Nanaidu, Dirk Kotzer, thank you so much for joining me on this edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. 
Please join us again in our next episode as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio Essay. Wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.